welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, evening, everyone. It is so great to be on the air with you again today, and I want to thank you all for keeping us in a What's Hot on iTunes podcast. Thank you so much. And for all of your great comments and your tweets, um, that's what keeps me going. I love to hear how what we're talking about on the air is impacting your life, shifting things, changing your perspectives, and teaching you some new questions that you can ask to take your life your business, and your entire being to a whole new level. So thanks for all of that. And today we have so much to talk about. I want to just jump right in to tell you a little bit about our guest today. Excuse me, having one of those voice days today. Jackie Zaynart is an amazing, amazing um, woman. I I met her, excuse me, I met her because she is going to be speaking at an event here in Vero Beach that I am privileged to be on the board of called Impact 100. And Jackie dedicates her time and resources towards the advancement of women and girls. She is the president of the Jacqueline and Gregory Zenner Foundation, a role she's had for 15 years. She funds a variety of projects and organizations with a focus on women's rights, women's foundations, movement building, and media. In 2012, she became the chief engagement officer and president of Women Moving millions. I love this organization. It's Impact 100 taken to um, exponential levels. It's a nonprofit organization based in New York City dedicated to mobilizing unprecedented resources for the advancement of women and girls. Each member contributes a million dollars or more to their organization of choice. It is just crazy. Prior to the philanthropic focus that Jackie had. She was a partner and managing director at Goldman Sachs, where she was the youngest woman and the first female trader to make partner. She lives in Park City, Utah, with her husband, Greg, and two teenage children. She travels all around the world. And I just got some amazing news of a list that Jackie made. And it's just mind-blowing to me. Economist Magazine every year puts out a list called the Global Diversity List. And... um. What's so cool about this list, it is the top 50 diversity figures in public life. These are the people that are making a difference on a global level. I mean, some people on the list include the Dalai Lama, Christine Amapora, Angelina Jolie, Hillary Clinton. The list goes on and on and on and on and on. And um, Jackie is on the top 50 global diversity list in the world. So please welcome Jackie Zaner to our show. Thank you, Laura. What an introduction. Oh, my gosh. Um, I'm so grateful. Thank you for having me. You know, congratulations for just this latest honor. It just says to me that you're on the right track, right? That the work you're doing is being heard and you're making a difference. So thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. You know, I just, it was funny because I was you know, it was Halloween night, actually, over the weekend, and I was staying at home because my daughter had a crazy volleyball tournament, and we were away with that, and we got back, and I just sort of checked my phone, and I got a text from a friend saying, like, congratulations, oh, my gosh, I'm like, what is she talking about? So I followed the link um, to find I'd, I had made this list, and I had no idea it was coming, and um, to say it, it's a huge honor and a privilege to be amongst a list of people like that is an understatement. 
But to your point, Laura, it's just, I don't know, I've been going sometimes when I'm stressed and I'm like, why am I doing all of this? And then you get little messages from God, from the universe, uh, to say, you go, girl. And this was one of them. So thank you for acknowledging it. We we tend to think, okay, I'm just on this list, however did I get there, and not look at the path that took us to where we're at. You know, I've done a lot of research on you in preparation for the show, knowing that you were going to be speaking at this event locally here in Vero Beach on, on November 15th. And your background is fascinating to me. I had met Carla Harris from Morgan Stanley, and, you know, you had some similar pathways in terms of Wall Street. Whatever made you go to Wall Street as a woman back when you started at Goldman Sachs? Oh, my gosh. Uh, Yeah, and I've just been, because it's such a big part of my talk that I'll be giving, and I'm so excited to come back to Vero and uh, be with be with the amazing women with Impact 100. So I, I'm definitely sort of in my story. I was just actually writing it this morning. And, you know, looking back, it's so interesting. It was such a long time ago. I mean, I'm 51 now. So I went to Goldman Sachs in 1988, which, um, doing my math, that's a long time ago. <laughs> and, you know, I, I had actually in a small town in Canada and ended up going to school for finance, which was, um, of course, amazing and did not, had not even been to New York, maybe once, actually, when I was in college. But it just so happened when I graduated, um, I had chosen a pathway in, in, in finance for school but never imagined ending up in New York. But the opportunity came to interview with Goldman um, because of this special program I was involved with at my university, University of British Columbia. And, let it, you know, I, I got an offer. I couldn't believe it. And, you know, so I went to um, Goldman in 1988 not really knowing anything, frankly, or not that much about the whole world of finance. And uh, I was just really fortunate. It was, uh, I was the first undergraduate hire from my university um, into the analyst program, which is how most uh, young people get hired into Wall Street. And, um, yeah, yeah, and the, the path unfolded since then. But it, I, I wouldn't say I was born and destined to a career on Wall Street. In, in fact, quite the opposite. I thought I'd probably end up in Vancouver being a lawyer or something. Which is not something to shake a stick at either. I mean, being a, a lawyer is not an easy path for a lot of women either. Oh, of course not. No. I think, you know, and especially back then. Um, and, so, you know, I haven't been in the corporate environment now for so many years, but uh, I do stay current. I try to. I have so many friends that are still in the industry and a lot of young women that I'm uh, friends with as well. And sometimes I just really wonder how much has changed um, since I was there over 20 years ago, and even though I left in 2002. Uh, but whether it be in law and uh, certainly in finance, still very true. The number, the percentage of women in senior leadership roles in particular has barely has barely moved in the past 15 years. We've had a number of guests on the show that have left corporate life, a lot of women, because there's just nowhere for them to go. Or when they finally got there, it was just such a horrible experience for them. They said, why am I doing this? And they created amazing businesses that are having a greater impact because they left because of their experiences. And it it seems like that's sort of what happened for you. Because of your experiences at Goldman Sachs, it launched you on this new path. Yes, you know, absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's, I had a great career on Wall Street. I mean, 
I was 32 when I made Partner in 1996, and um, actually one of some of the stories I'm going to share when I'm with you uh, relate to some negative experiences I had, a lot of sexual harassment, particularly by one person, but thankfully I made it through um, that experience, but by and large, Goldman, man, just an incredible firm to work with, especially at that time when uh, efforts around diversity were really just beginning uh, to take hold, and, and firms, especially Goldman, was a, very much a pioneer in, in creating some of the first diverse, diversity initiatives like women's leadership networks and, and things like that. But, yes, when I, um, you know, it's a, it's a longer story about sort of my trajectory, but I, I did leave for um, reasons of frustration um, and also in some ways work life, but work life is a tricky thing to put on the table as a reason for women to leave because I think it's, it's not, I had two young children at the time and, and actually my husband was also a Goldman and had left to actually be at home with the kids and I, and I stayed working. But work life, missing your kids and not feeling like you're a, a great mom or showing up for them becomes that much more uh, visible when you're not happy at work or when you're frustrated. So if you love your job and you think you're making a difference, and I do think women at the margin, and actually studies support this, care a lot and more about making a difference um, in the world where, where if you feel like you're not happy at work and you're not making a difference and you have you know, the whole um, family thing at home and those pressures which are still so strong, the, the cultural norms associated with being a great mom, then you, you layer all those together and that can spell disaster for women to this day in corporate America. Yeah, if, if a man mentions uh, having to spend more time with the kids or the family, he's wonderful. If a woman says it, they immediately think she's weak and yeah, that she's planning that on leaving. That that's still true. And I, I think it probably is. I think less so than 15 years ago, but it certainly hasn't gone away. So we're going to be going into commercial break, Jackie, in a little over a minute. I like to ask our guests, my guests, to pose a question that people should be thinking about during the commercial break so that they can start thinking about what's going on in their life or in their business. Around Goldman Sachs and the time you were there, was there something that kept popping up in your mind that helped you formulate a strategy for either staying or leaving. Yeah, do you want me to, do yes. want me to answer that now or say Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. No, go ahead. Just it, yeah, you, you uh, have I mean, a little over I a minute. I always had was where were the women? You know, as I especially as I went up the ranks, where were the women and why were they not there? Where were the women and why are they not there? So, if you are looking around your office space. And saying to yourself, where are the women and why are not there? Or you're a woman in your business and saying to yourself, am I even being present? Am I showing up? How am I showing up in my business? Tweet out to at the Laura Stewart and let us know. And we'll be right back after this commercial break with more from the amazing Jackie Zayner. Welcome back, everyone. We are here with Jackie Zayner and... Um, I was just going over the list again. She made the top 50 of the global diversity list in the world by Economist Magazine. And I have to tell you, I'm going to post it up on the website so you can see the people that are on this list because these are people you need to know. These are people that are affecting change on a global level that are making a difference. Women and men are up there and they're really 
just, wow, I'm bowled over by it. So thank you, Jackie, for all the work you're doing. Thank you. All right, so Jackie, before the break, we were talking about your time at Goldman Sachs. And, you know, you're asking yourself, where are the women? And you stayed, right? You, you stayed there, and then you moved on. And there was so much stuff that was happening for you. I, I mean, there was this quote that I read from you. You talked about the, you know, pretty extreme sexual harassment there, and that it, it made making the personal political for you. Not everybody takes something like that and does something with it. What was going on at that point in time that you were able to take this to a new level? Yeah, well, gosh, thank you. And you know, it's so interesting because you know you don't wish negative experiences on on anyone. Um, but what it did for me was activate uh, my my awareness, I guess, of of these issues. Not only that I was facing, but other women. And to be clear, I mean, there was one really bad dude that happened to be my manager for a while, unfortunately. So, and more generally speaking, I think Goldman was a great place to work, um, and I loved it. And they were uh, really, I think at the time, doing their best to promote uh, women and attract them to the industry. Um, but it was sort of the early days. And in terms of, you know, why did, that, why did those actions for me connect me into the level of activism? And I, I, I reading Gloria Steinem's new book, as I love, I love Gloria Steinem and so blessed to, I guess, call myself a friend. Um, and you, you know, wrote a talked, LinkedIn article about her recently. I just did, yeah. She just came out with a new book uh, that has been, I think, over a decade in the, in the making called Gloria Steinem, My Life on the Road. And she is... Is it 81 or 82? I think 82, if you can believe it, and literally still on the road championing women's rights. I mean, it's just constantly a source of inspiration for me. But as I was reading it, you know, I think about, oh, my gosh, I was doing, like, a feminist conscious raising. I mean, that's feminist organizing within the walls of Goldman Sachs. And I, have, of course, did not have the language around it at that time, but... What we were doing then, and I still think it's happening now, is we were getting women together. And because I had those experiences, you have them. And as women, we share. You know, I think that's what we want to do, we tend to do. And, and, you know, I was sharing some of the challenges I was having with other women, and some of them were having those challenges, others were having different, some weren't having them. But we started to get together and really, you know, just talk about what, what challenges were we facing being um, a very much a minority in a male-dominated firm, and then the challenges of the industry in and of itself in terms of, you know, the demands uh, of work and the stress and all of that. And it was through that that I, I guess, um, I, I, and I've always been like this, I'm such an extreme extrovert. I'm learning this about myself, and I'm learning about my, my talents, especially my thinking talents. And as I heard other people's stories and really came to own my own story in this, I'm like, you know, we can do something about this. Um, and I think in my core, I think maybe I was just born with it as some organizing spirit, but we began to come together, and then we had this idea of having a women's leadership sort of conference for the division and starting a networking group, and so we could talk amongst ourselves. And I think one of the critical principles, and I wouldn't have named it that then because I've only since learned it in my work as, um, as a philanthropist, is this concept of critical mass. And, you know, when you come together and you build and have stories and you're not just one person saying, hey, you know, this is happening, 
but you're a group of people saying, hey, this is happening to us, and here is not only the problem, but some of the solutions, um, what we think we can do to make um, for better experiences and build a more inclusive organization for everyone. That's the work we started to do, you know, in the 90s. And the more I did it, the more I loved it, the more I wanted to do it. And, you know, frankly, I was rewarded for it too, you know. So it was, um, it's not like Goldman did not want me to do it. They wanted me to do it. And I think that's one of the main reasons I made partners so early. You know, you, you said something that if anybody's near um, Twitter, tweet this out for me. Own your own story. I love that quote, by the way, Jackie. Own your own story. So many women and men out there don't own their own story. They let their story own them. You mentioned the the problems and that you actually got to solutions. How did you move it from a conversation just about the problems to actually getting to solutions and then implementing those solutions? Yeah, I mean, it definitely was a process. And, you know, I still do some consulting to organizations around inclusiveness. And I would say the conversation is very different now than it is back then. Um, Back then, it was about the women, primarily, and primarily about women having issues. And those issues are work-life issues, their performance, their... um, Well, we now have the leaning in issue, the ambition, the confidence. So, you know, back then, and frankly, I think we even saw ourselves as having the problems back then. Like, if only I did this, then I would, you know, fit in or I would do better. So um, it's it's really interesting looking back to say, even within myself, um, and now I don't no longer see myself as someone that needs to be fixed. Um, But back then, that sort of was the frame that we were working under because, you know, it's just how early diversity initiatives were thought of. So, you know, back then, um, again, and, and I, some of the early work of Catalyst is still a, a thriving organization to this day that looks at sort of the inclusion and women's leadership in the context of large organizations, um, you know, was sort of that. Like, what did, what did women have to do to be successful um, in a male-dominated industry or firm and and because how that sort of it was framed for us, that was sort of internalized. And so uh, some of the early solutions we thought of, well, you know, let's get together, let's talk, and that's a great solution regardless. But then it became about mentoring and sponsorship and some of the early programs. And, again, it's not that these things were bad. It just wasn't a a very holistic um, frame to the problem. Um, But that's what we started to do. We was like, well, we need to have mentors. We need to figure out how to be more a part of, you know, that – the old boys network to a, to a certain degree, play golf. You know, I remember having that discussion. Well, we need to all go out and learn how to play golf. Like, that will really help our careers. And, um, but we just started doing things. And I think over time the industry was, was doing it at the same time. And, and thankfully um, there, there became real, really deep institutional support for it, meaning over time, you know, we had uh, a role where it was um, the Office of Diversity, and this, this was sort of the work of the 90s, was to formalize the informal work uh, that was being, being done. And, and again, Goldman, I really praise them because they, they were a leader in this. And in fact, as I, and I started to do this more as full-time, we were constantly being benchmarked um, against by other organizations who were trying to learn from us. But you know, you just, it's, it was sort of one foot uh, in front of the other uh, through a lot of those years until it became really institutionalized. I love that. And you now are doing other work 
that takes this message of, of women and using money in alignment with your values, but beyond that, women stepping into their power as women and the change that they can affect. It, it's so cool that um, you took what was happening for you. Goldman really supported. I, you know, I've heard this time and time again. I have a number of friends that are on Wall Street that it's it's who's around you. It's your mentors. You can make the best of any situation. And, oh, my God, you had Gloria Steinem as one of your mentors. Well, I didn't meet her, though. I met her the, for the first time, in, I think, in 1998. Um, and then it's only really been in my philanthropic life that I've got got to know her better. But, yeah, I, I'll never forget. I was pregnant with my um, with my. Uh, I think it was, or maybe it was a little later, but I remember being pregnant, and I was like, oh, man, this is not, you know, just, you know, how you kind of look late in your pregnancy. And I was like, no, this is my photo op with Gloria Steinem. Not fair. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is kind of like an oxymoron, right, standing there. But, you know, she defined a whole new way of thinking. She shifted the perspective of the world and continues to shift the perspective of the world. And yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I have been thinking a lot, especially, you know, writing all these speeches. I'm on the road for two weeks with speaking at, in Princeton, New Jersey this week, then Oxford over the weekend before I, I head to Vero Beach. And, like, what is my role in the world? And I remember having these conversations over time with Gloria. And what is sort of the next wave um, of the women's movement? And I don't think we can be... Um, scared to say that or even to say the feminist movement, frankly. Um, But it is in, to me, sort of uh, the building of bridges between um, the world's different worlds, like the worlds of finance, like the the role I think I play is having sort of expertise and history in the world of finance and now over a decade of history in the world of gender. And, and then specifically gender and philanthropy, but women's rights, you know. And, and we're and going to be going into the news break, and we're going to talk more with Jackie Zaner. But what is your role in the world? Think about that. If you are just joining us, you've missed so much incredible conversation with my guest, Jackie Zaner. So you can always catch it on podcast at iTunes, Stitcher, or itsallaboutthequestions.com. So, Jackie, before the, the news break, we were talking about, I, I love this question, you said, what is your role in the world? And how does that fit in with everything that you're doing? The new work that, you're, that you've done since you've left Goldman Sachs, I mean, look at uh, women moving millions, women giving a million dollars or more to fund change in the world around women. We talked about Gloria Steinem. You were talking about building bridges between your world of finance. What do you, what do you really think is the unfinished business of, of the women's movement. I mean, I don't think it's dead, but there are a lot of people that now think of the word feminism as a horrible, hateful thing. Yeah, I know, and that, that really breaks my heart. I feel like we, we need to reframe feminism, and sometimes I'm like, well, do we just leave it behind and find new language, or do we reclaim it? And uh, I, I kind of vote for reclaiming, though don't ask me how. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's crazy. I, I think, and it's, you know, you hear people say, I'm not a feminist. Well, do you know what the word means? It means believing that, that women and men, you know, deserve sort of equal rights, equal access. So when you get down to the what of it, it's people probably don't disagree. They just really hate that word. Um, but part of what I've done over the past 10 years is, is really try to embrace and understand 
um, the business case or the economic case for gender equity. And I will stand, you know, on my soapbox about the moral case um, because, you know, to say that women don't deserve um, to be free from violence or have um, access to the same opportunities that men do is, is crazy town to me. But um, that being said, um, I also think that part of really engaging a broader audience around the unfinished business of women's equality is the ability to make that business an economic argument. And so, um, and this is my, you know, Goldman Sachs finance background coming in, I obsessively collect, and I mean obsessive, uh, research, anything I can find or have found in the past decade, uh, but more recently as well, that makes the case for gender equity. Um, and in fact, if you go to my website, Jackie Zayner, Jackie with an I, no E, Zayner, um, dot, dot com, you'll find in the resource section um, a list of over 200 reports in multiple different categories um, that really talk about why gender equity is important in all these different contexts, from media to agricultural rights to human rights. Um, to philanthropy, et cetera. And specifically, I just want to call out one because I was at a conference actually yesterday in Denver on gender lens investing and presenting with someone from McKinsey. And they have a, a just produced a report, which is um, I can also tweet out to you, called The Power of Parity, How Advancing Women's Equality Can Add $12 trillion, trillion, not billion, not million, trillion, to global growth. So if anyone doesn't think that there's an economic reason um, nor want, or want to see that, in fact, uh, women's equality has not been reached in any country anywhere in the world, and, in fact, we're far, far, far from it, even here in the United States, I would highly recommend that report. Definitely tweet it out. And, by the way, everybody, uh, Jackie's Twitter handle is at Jackie Zayner, J-A-C-K-I-Z-E-H-N-E-R. And you know mine, it is at the Laura Stewart. So tweet out and let's get a conversation going. And for whatever reason, I can never seem to log into Twitter and the radio station. I think I'm just supposed to focus 100% on my guests, so I'm cool with that. <laughs> so, all right. So we, we you're touching on this whole concept of shifting conversations and that there's an economic impact to women in the workplace. Getting women into the workplace can sometimes be difficult. Uh, it's a little easier, I think, in the United States than it is in some other portions of the of the world, but not always, right, because of where you may have grown up and, and how you may have been raised and your religion and stuff like that. The work you do at um, Women Moving Millions, there's this wonderful quote I heard about you. You said that joining Women Moving Millions helped you overcome your fears about the visibility of giving a big and bold gift and redirected your energy. Why do you think that is? Yeah, it was. um, So I I didn't create Women Moving Millions. It was uh, an initiative created by two amazing, well, three amazing women, actually, um, the Hunt Sisters, um, who hail out of Dallas. And um, you're on the board of directors, correct? Of Women Moving Millions, yes. I'm okay. president of the board, and I still have this really cool role called Chief Engagement Officer. That's um, cool. But, yeah, that's a great title, right? CEO. And people think, oh, executive. I'm like, no, engagement. Uh, but they created it because Helen has done a, had, had done a lot of work. She's um, an amazing philanthropist and has started countless um, women's foundations, actually, and other organizations, I think like 13 of them or something. Um, and her passion was always around 
you know, women funding women, and that is even a relatively new concept, believe it or not. So she had done all this work about um, how women were writing, you know, women of wealth in particular were writing huge checks to hospitals and alma maters, or, you know, but not, non, none, basically none to uh, no women's organization, like a women's foundation was receiving those big checks. So she started a campaign um, to encourage women to make million-dollar gifts to women's foundations. And, and she said, for women who could, right, clearly that's not everyone, um, who could write a million-dollar check to start thinking about it in the context of not only their universities or a hospital, but to support, in particular, low-income, the needs of low-income women. So I, had, I came in, um, I was writing a lot of checks at the time, and to be clear, it was not one million-dollar gift. It could be over um, a period of time. And that's how I came to know the organization. And it was interesting because even though I had been writing some pretty big checks, I never really thought of myself, even though I clearly had that capacity, to be able to make that million-dollar gift. And I was afraid. I was afraid, like, would, you know, what if people know that I had money, like, we rich, would they think less of me and, or, or differently of me? And I was scared, frankly. Um, and it was only after sort of, you know, it's, and it's crazy how much power we give money over our lives in that way. And, you know, coming out, um, so to speak, as a woman who did have resources and not saying, you know, not coming out in the way like, you know, hey, look at my Ferrari, aren't I awesome? But doing it in support of other women, I'm like, this, you know, I can't hide from that anymore. I need to own my financial power. And in many ways, my journey since then has been to encourage and support other women owning their financial power. I did not realize that the women moving millions, you could just, you can give your million over time. I, I think that is wonderful and your own your financial power. I wrote several quotes here. You know, how much power do you give money in your life? Own your financial power. That's an amazing thing. Impact 100 that you're coming here to speak about, speak to uh, at the kickoff breakfast, by the way, I will plug it right now, Thursday, November 12th from 9 to 10.30 in the morning at Oak Harbor. For those of you who are local here in Indian River County, come to the Impact 100 kickoff breakfast. You know, so for Impact 100, it's a way for us, each woman gives $1,000, 100% of which goes to grants. We give out $100,000 grants. In seven years, we've given out um, $2.5 million dollars to local groups to, that make transformational um, processes inside Indian River County. I see the impact that just $1,000 from one woman makes. We Last year we gave out $454,000 because of all the women that banded together. Have you noticed a difference in women's philanthropy versus, say, gender-neutral or male-focused philanthropy? Uh, Yes. Um, And actually, I serve on the advisory council for the Women's Philanthropy Institute, which is our country's leading, or actually the world's, I think, leading organization on uh, women and giving. And they produced a number of reports over the years, um, which really focus on gender differences in in giving. And there are a lot of them. I think people would be surprised to know that women actually give more than men at every income level, for example. 
um, and that uh, women, even you know, in households, whether they be single women head of households or in couples, um, do make the majority of charitable giving within that household uh, as well. Uh, so, I mean, there's there's a whole list of of gender differences, but I. I think what's so powerful, and you mentioned this with Impact 100, which is why I love coming to speak to groups um, around women's giving, is the power of giving it together. Women like to do things together, and the rise of giving circles and giving communities, and I think we are just beginning to see their power for, for transformative change locally and more broadly, is incredible. And that is very women, to come together and give together in the form um, that you're doing with Impact 100. And I, it, it's a huge trend, and it's, it's unbelievably powerful. There's a, a new trend coming out as well called, um, I heard about it at our board meeting yesterday, Girls Giving Grants, where they encourage girls from 8th grade to uh, 12th grade in high school to donate $100 each per year, and then they all come together and pick the recipients of that grant. So we're starting it. it. Yeah, yeah, it's so cool starting it even earlier. Now, um, philanthropy, it sounds like it's something that's in your DNA. For somebody that may be just starting to think about giving, what would you say to them? And we have a little over a minute and a half before we go to commercial. (laughs) Okay, I'll set it up, then we can address it after. Perfect. I would say to them, um, don't think about it as just your money. Think about it as all the resources you have to align with your vision and values. So philanthropy, to me, has to really be reframed as not just giving charitable dollars, but how we use all our financial power and also our leadership, our influence, our networks, um, you know, I can tell you the story about my mom, our baking. Um, so there's a lot of ways that we can um, do philanthropy. Um, so I think the first step is to not think about it as just how you're giving your money. And it doesn't just have to be money. It sounds like with your mom and baking, it sounds like there was some other <laughs> philanthropic way your mom perhaps got involved. Yes, there sure are. Oh, I love it. I love any stories about parents or grandparents and baking. I share a story on stage about what I learned from my grandma about the gut instincts when I learned how to make an apple pie with her. Oh. So, um, Well, I'll tell you my Ukrainian grandmother Holipsy story then. Oh, awesome. Awesome. So we're going to be back after this commercial break with more from Jackie Zaner. I've been thinking about the question you posed, Jackie, before the news break, which was, what is your role in the world? And... When you and I were talking during the the break, this, you know, it popped in that I really want radio to be a major portion of my career. And I was starting to, after I hung up the phone and we were, you know, I'm waiting for the air, I realized what I want for my role in the world, what my role is, is to bring amazing people like you to my audience. And there's so many different ways that they can listen to my show, either live on the air here in Vero Beach through iHeartRadio the app, uh, through the podcast, through my website. I love being able to bring this knowledge, this wisdom to the world in a way that is, is useful and people can make an impact from it and they can shift their perceptions. Yeah, and that's exactly what I'm trying to, you know, we're on the same mission, Laura, in that regard, because, you know, one of the reasons I blog, and I think I've logged over 700 of them, if you can possibly believe it, or write, or get on the road, is um, to profile amazing people and amazing work and, and amazing organizations and, 
Um, I'm a pretty active angel investor as well, and I've, I've uh, actually just yesterday, was it yesterday, Monday, was that yesterday? I just invested in um, a platform called Mogul, uh, for example, and it's an online platform for primarily millennial women um, to connect around the world. So I'm with you. I've fantasized about this, um, and I guess I've kind of lived it, but you know, that's one of the reasons I'm working on a book, too, is because just to share, share, and share. Yeah, it's like you said about, you know, women and friends, women like to do things together, but sometimes they don't have the resources or the knowledge in their area to do what they're trying to do. And, and how can we connect them? Well, again, that's one of the reasons I love women's giving funds, um, your, your Impact 100 that you have locally. We have an amazing women's giving fund associated with our community foundation here in Park City, Utah. And I, I, I was with, who was that? Oh, the Colorado Women's Fund. I was with them yesterday. And really seeing, I really see uh, women's giving communities as not only a networking group, because it's more than that. And I think this is, this is a challenge for all of us to think of. How do we get beyond networking to leadership activation? And how do we really support each other in our leadership, whatever that looks like? You know, whether you're a stay-at-home mom and the way you serve is through your school or um, through your church community to people in the business world that might have little time but have networks and influence from a corporate perspective and maybe can bring corporate resources to a certain table. You know, and how do we, how do we train each other and support each other in and what we need to be powerful in the world. I love the quote. I, mean, I might not get this right. It's not right in front, of, in front of me, but I am a quote girl. I collect them. And that's another. Besides my 200 best reports, that's about 80 pages. I have a 50-page, you know, favorite quotes by women. Uh, but there's, uh, it goes something like this. Like, um, if ever women came together solely for the good of humanity, it will be a force the world has never seen. And I think technology is enabling us to connect like never before, I think the world needs us. You know, you look at the crazy statistics around poverty or violence or look at this refugee crisis. You know, the world needs us to use our power. You know, what are we waiting for, women? Nothing. We're it's waiting just, for each other. We're waiting for each other. But what we have to do is stop waiting for each other to start and make our step in. Yeah, and I do think women are doing it. I think men are doing it too, not to be exclusive about this. I'm, you know, men are, most men are great. They're phenomenal. And I think that's sort of the unfinished business too, is for us to think about how to more fully engage men in caring about issues of, around gender equity and parity, whether it be in the workplace or violence issues, trafficking, you name it. Um, but we, we all, I'd hate to be like, just go do more, but I'm, you know, just go do more. <laughs> Because it is, and I love the studies, again, my research junkie coming out, you know, there's this happiness project um, that my university, actually, University of British Columbia is involved with. There's a lot of research coming out now about what makes people happy. And the truth is serving the world, serving others, serving a higher purpose is one of the key factors um, to living a happier life. Sometimes it, it seems hard to be happy when you hear all of the horrors in the world, right? The news is all about the horrors. And, you know, your story is about you went through some pretty tough things. I mean, it, granted, in a different perspective, say, you know, you're at Goldman Sachs, it, it might not be 
the stuff that you talk about in your your documentaries. I mean, you've got one coming out called the the Hunting Ground, all about rape on campus, and another one about hot girls wanted, you know, internet pornography. So you didn't come out of something like that, but it's not necessarily about how horrible the experience was in terms of a global perspective, right? It's stepping from where you are to where you can be. Would that be a great way to describe it? Yeah. You know, we all have our stories as we, as we sort of started off the conversation today. And I, I would say I've like had an amazing life. I thank, truly thank God every day for the blessings in my life. Um, uh, I just saw Garth Brooks. Now I'm going to like sing his song. He was in concert. <laughs> uh, thank God for, you know, unanswered prayers. You know that one? Um, I'm not a good singer, but I do love country music. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I've, I've had such a great life. I have great parents. I have a great husband. I had a great job. Did I have to go through some stuff to end up here? Yes. Um, do a lot of people have to go through way, way, way more challenging things? Yes, they sure do. And, you know, I don't, you know, again, don't wish that on anyone. Um, but I think this idea of where, you know, what does it look like to have a world where women's leadership, women's um, voice, voices, um, and a lot of the work I do around film in particular and with the Gina Davis Institute on Gender and Media is about how women are just not present in critical mass, whether it be in film or in movies or writing op-ed pieces or in the news. Like, we don't know what the world looks like where women are more fully and equally visible everywhere. And part of that will only change when each of us take that step to be visible, whatever that means for you. Um, and I'm lucky, I'm fortunate, you know, that I have a big platform for a lot of, you know, reasons in my life, and um, I will use it forever, you know, to try to make women more visible in the world. That's my work. Yeah, it, and it's a beautiful thing. You know, we're talking about this whole concept of, of philanthropy, about stepping about, about changing the perspective. I have a friend who on the surface had like everything but she was abused and never presented it to the world but I mean she was physically emotionally abused beaten up like crazy but never in a place she could see and she was like but I still am better off than everybody else well you know you have to embrace your own story right and it's a pretty horrible thing just because you might be better off than um, some of these people in some of your documentaries, that doesn't mean it, it's less valuable or less important, that we just need to start talking about it. So how does somebody start talking about making a change in their life? Well, gosh, um, oh, there's so many ways. You know, it's what I was going to... And it's going to be your last thought before we I leave know. the oh show. I know, oh my gosh, so now the I'm going to have you on. back on. We have to have you back on. Oh, well, I'd love to come back on. Um, you know, uh, where to start? I mean, look, because for me, it's all about women for women, right? Like, I, that's my raison d'etre, you know, in the world is women supporting women. So uh, I guess to me that that step is thinking about what you believe. I mean, everything has to come from that. You will not do anything differently if, you, if there's not the belief system you know, or maybe you'll do it once, but you won't do it again. That's sort of consistent with those actions. Um, so I think is thinking about sort of your role in the world. And if you, you know, what 
do you care about, and that sounds stupid now that I'm saying it out loud, but now I have to say it, you know, do you, do you care about other women? Do you care about women's equality? Do you even think it's an issue? And if you don't, then I invite you to go to the 200 best reports on girls and women or my facts page to look at maybe why you should care. Um, but then what can you do about it? What's local to you? And I, I always believe that change starts, you know, where you are, not in some d- distant land. And I, so what can you do locally? Who are the people in your life um, maybe that need help? And even if that's to sit and share a story or share your own story. And then, you know, my work, too, is about activating your resources. So this is a big topic for 30 seconds, but it's not just about your giving money. It's, I talk a lot and was just at this conference on gender lens investing. So how are you in using your investment power? How you're using your purchasing power, the decisions you make every day on what you buy, um, you know, who you buy it from is a transfer of our power. So it's bringing that intention um, around, A, knowing your values, and then B, bringing the intention around it for how you use your financial um, resources. And I see all of the, you know, those things combined um, as transformational. If we all do something and then do something again, you know, that is the force that will, you know, lead us to this world that I think we all want to live in. That is a great thought to end with. And if you want to do something local, check out Impact 100 and come here, Jackie, on November 12th. Thanks for being with us. And remember, the right questions truly can change your life. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.